Podcast. My name is Blair Sinta. This is Recording Drums. This week my guest is the great Chris McHugh, uh, infamous Nashville session drummer. Um, you would know him obviously from Keith Urban, Carrie Underwood, uh, and a thousand other Nashville artists. Just huge records. Um, Chris has an incredible pocket, uh, amazing sound. And man, we talked for over two, just about two and a half hours. So I'm actually splitting this podcast into two parts this week and next week. Um, uh, he just kept talking. He's so knowledgeable, um, uh, you know, about drums, about recording, about producing. Um, he's got, he's got strong opinions, but they're not, you know, they're not overbaked. They're not, you know, it's not like this is right and this is wrong. He just, he just knows, he knows sound inside and out. He understands engineering. Um, there was a record I discovered, uh, back in 1999, uh, by a, an artist called Owsley. And I did not realize Chris played on it until, uh, you know, when I was doing some research on him before, we talked and uh, we ended up talking a lot about that record and that experience and how that influenced him, you know, to how he records these days and how he produces and his knowledge on sound. So pretty great, man. What a, what a, what a great guy. You'll, you'll hear it. He's, he's, he just wants to share and uh, spread his knowledge. So it was pretty awesome to talk with him. Um, uh, as usual, courses are for sale uh lessons here drum tracks here whatever but please share the podcast um definitely helps uh if you share it on social media and helps to give it reviews on itunes or spotify or google or wherever you listen to it um all right so here we go part one with session great chris McHugh. i don't know <laughs> We all learn from these things, so that that's the good that's the good thing, you know. Yeah, well, I appreciate you being open to it, man. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a longtime fan, and dude, I just put two and two together. Well, a couple things. Um, that I was a huge fan of that Owsley record that came out in '99, and I didn't know that was you until literally going through your discography and be like, oh shit, you know oh, that? Yeah. That '90s power pop stuff, and that's that was one of my favorite records, like Jason Faulkner stuff. That Owsley thing, it's just like incredible writing, you know. Oh yeah, man, uh, he was he was so fantastic. Uh, what's funny is this, that thing has a weird, you know. <clears throat> through the years, there's these like different revivals. These things get, you know. Yeah. Uh, if anything, it just seems to kind of float back into the consciousness of of people. So lately, I've been getting. You know, people reaching out, talking about that record again, and Interesting. so, yeah. And he was what is? Did do you have a? Did you have a musical history with him before that? Um. Basically, yeah. I mean, we had met um, just as kind of like sidemen playing on. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think we went and did a couple of gigs with a. Um, a guy named Spencer Campbell, the bass player, played on a couple of those tracks on Will's record. He was dating um, a Christian artist named Kim Boyce. Okay. And man, I'm talking like this is this is like 
86 or 87 i'm talking about like wow and um we went and did like a weekend's worth of gigs that's the first time i met will okay so uh will and spencer were had had known of uh each other they worked with uh a singer um oh man um, 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 um it'll come to me uh but they were in a band together um uh and um you know just we just kind of met that that way yeah i mean we wound up working together on a bunch of different stuff um uh amy grant and um just different sessions and okay so uh, we want he had yeah. a serious sideman history, which I, I guess I didn't yes. realize. I, I mean, I just, you know, at that time I was like, oh, here's this guy who's a great writer, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he just was one of these um, <clears throat> kind of phenoms that could do anything, really. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, he kind of play everything. He could sing anything. Um, he was a great arranger. Um, but what's interesting about that record is that that's basically a home recording. You know, he, he, he had a house, um, over on Hobbs road. And, uh, we did that record on most of it. There's a couple tracks that were cut in, a, in, in, uh, at the sound kitchen. I think I'm all right. And the sky is falling were tracked at a real studio if you will but the rest was done at his house um uh, he had a 16 track suitor a80 oh wow all the drums and bass and the rhythm guitars on that stuff like uh on um oh no the radio and uh come out of roses that's all 15 uh ips you know you could punch in but you can't punch out kind of thing right <laughs> I mean the tone, yeah. the tone. I mean the guitar tones, the drum tones, everything on that record. The vocal, the I mean the mixing, like everything is fucking great. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was it was nominated for a best engineered non classical. So okay. Oh um, wow. Okay. <clears throat> Jeez. Yeah. Um, well, and those the the tracks that were cut at his house. All the we didn't have stereo overheads. Those are. That was a, we had a C12 as an overhead. Okay. Well, that'll work. The, the, the individual toms were mic'd. We had a mic on the snare, uh, obviously in the kick drum. And uh, some of those don't have hi-hat mics or anything. <laughs> what was this, with a C, C12, C12 or C24, did you say? A C12, just a mono. It just okay. was mono. I mean... Yeah, and only the kick and snare had. Um, I think we rented a couple of uh, uh, like ten seventy threes, I think. Okay. But the rest of the drums were cut through a damn Mackie console, dude. That's wow. what that is. Well, yeah, that's called, that's called having good, great ears, right? Well, and it, I mean, in the room was um, it was one of these kind of like. Um, sort of built in the forties and fifties kind of Nashville branch 
uh, layout houses and um, not particularly high ceilings or anything like that, but, um, you know, good hollow floors. And so you get that real throaty, uh, the thing that's all over uh, every, um, all, all the all the drum sounds in particular, you can really hear it on Coming Up Roses. Um, there's a, there's a thing in there in the um, kind of mid to lo thing. low mid thing. Yeah. I want to call it, you know, it kind of hits more in here, but the, the, and then there's a nice dip before the ultra lows. Yeah. That that reveals itself in those kind of houses, and uh, I mean, you know, and you gotta you gotta play to the room. I mean, right. Uh, and there was a good amount of trial and error. We didn't like those tracks were not cut, um, you know, quickly. Okay. We would, we would listen to the way everything was going to tape and because, you know, we knew that that was, that that was it, you know? Right. And we weren't, we, at the time, you know, there was no, when we were cutting everything, there was no deal at all. That was all done just speculative, you know? Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun and, and it's amazing that it, it holds up even now, you know? I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I haven't heard those songs until, you know, f you know, this past week until, you know, for geez, you know, over 15 years probably. Yeah. And, and I was just like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh no, the radio, you're like, oh Yeah this what a fucking great song you know and yeah and to go back and listen to it with ears that i have now that i didn't have then it's yes it's even more like uh like those super bitey guitar tones that kind of like you know maybe ac30 or or you know less popular ac30 or something you know yeah it's a matchless uh it's a really really early serial number uh matchless um the one that's basically an ac30 copy yeah. uh is it's most most of that there's it's also there's a lot of Marshall Plexi 50 watt on there and I think we used a, uh, maybe a deluxe or two but for the most part the real classic part of that and certainly oh no the radio that rhythm sound that that's that's the matchless uh, I love that you remember that man I mean well it's funny you know I I um I am a guitar nerd, man. I mean, I, I, um, uh, I recently produced, um, Tom Bugovac solo record. Um, uh, that's called Plexi soul. I, I mean, I love guitar. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was part of my affinity for working with Keith and for all those years. And, um, you know, I love it. I don't know. <laughs> I am terrible guitar player. My, my fingers are way too fat to do anything on it, but, uh, I react to it. It, it is, it is, um, you know, um, from being a kid and, you know, first hearing the Beatles and, and certainly with, with Zeppelin and stones and, and, uh, ACDC, but, uh, you know, massive early, I mean, all Jeff Beck, but right. the early stuff really had a, a big impact on me just sort of sonically. I, I can remember being really young, you know, 
uh, in the back of the car, you know, in the AM radio. And in particular, certain records always sort of hit me in this kind of like sort of soul kind of way. And, and, um, you, you know, uh, it's funny, man, that's just sort of, sort of sit there. It's sort of the thing of like, I'm, I'm, I'm always sort of looking for the thing to kind of light the hairs up in the back of my neck, you know? Um, I don't know if that's, it's, it probably has to do with sort of like internal harmonic kind of stuff, you know? I think so too. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm very similar. Like, um, when I, I, when I used to tour with Alanis Morissette, there was, there was two guitar players in the band and then the keyboard player was actually a great guitar player also. And the amount of vintage guitar shops I went to with those guys touring all over the world was like insane. So my guitar knowledge just by osmosis because that's all they would talk about on the bus you know they were buying guitars like left and right you know i was just learning about it without even knowing about it but i i, I think you're right the harmonic side of something about the way strings ring together and and distortion um it there's something about it like when you i think with the tones especially that you're talking about like with air through an amp they do something you know internally you know yeah, for sure, man. I, I, I really liken it to, to, um, there's really something in particular in, in, inside internal harmonics with, with, a with a P bass in particular that, um, I really, I mean, I know we're getting into minutia here, but it's okay. if you're, if, if you're kind of <laughs> like, you, you know, I mean, that, that's the thing that I, I'm really kind of looking for everything inside of that zone. You know, I, I, I um, mid-range is is an area that i love to be inside of tonally you know um that's part of the 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 thing that what's interesting is working with newer engineers now a lot of these guys i'm certainly old enough to be their dad (laughs) and you get (laughs) you get into into some zones with these things where there's a certain amount of dirt that i feel like you always have to have come through yeah and, and you get in that scoop, right? The mid range, like highs and lows, right? Yeah. It's fantastic. If you want a fucking lifeless record, <laughs> which is what it all is. Right. I mean, look, there's exceptions to the rule on all of this stuff. And, yeah, and um, yeah. I'm just saying that, that for as many, you know, it'd be nice to challenge the area uh, a bit more rather than saying, well, y- you know, it started, I guess, about maybe six or seven years ago. And it's talk about, hey, man, your toms are ringing. I'm like, yeah, they are. <laughs> I think longer in L.A., but yes, for me, it was like more like 15 years ago. Yeah. Has it? Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Maybe, maybe for so long, I, I kind of was just able to sort of get away with certain things, you know. Maybe it's been longer. I don't know, but... Um, and and then it got into the you know what's funny is even the tea towel thing i'm like man we did all of this like the first wave of that was around 89 90 you know and then it went away and and then it keeps coming back you know but it was interesting i had a younger engineer like hey man you ever try the tea towel thing i was like yes long (laughs) before you were born (laughs) (laughs) but i i I get it man i mean you know look they're 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 trying to do their job too you know 
I, I mean, and and the funny thing about this job, like what we do, is it's the balance of you know we are part artists, but on the other side of it, it's just the service industry, and we got to do. Yeah, you know, we 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 need to accommodate, and we learn when we accommodate. I mean, that's the other thing too. Is like, there's many ways to look at this. We can just go, oh well, fuck these guys. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. That that doesn't work. I I spent some time in that headspace, and certainly went when I was younger too. But now it's sort of like, well, there's got to be there's something good in this compromise. I'll, I'll learn something, you know. Well, and there's always an everybody's got to go through it, right? It's like, and especially if that's the current thing, and that's what you know, uh, younger engineers, producers, musicians are excited about. That's where they're starting from. Yes, you know, and it's like you you got to honor that, know the history, right? Or, or even care about the history until a certain maturity level, or or want, or or you know, want to know. You yes know, about it yeah and i should say man too you know to to even just kind of knock on myself a little bit is that that you know again i, I i'm rarely right you know it, it <laughs> there's there's a certain <laughs> i mean it's nice to have it's nice to have experience you know but um i'm also open to whatever you know i have done a couple records recently where it, it is the uh, everything i'm doing is not what i would do um, in terms of like, like, oh man, gear and everything. It's, 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 um, uh, y- y- you know, part of it has to do with kind of the budgetary limitations of, of the project in particular, but it's a, it's a Frankenstein put together kit just, uh, in a guy's own studio and, um, we're kind of cramped in there. The other players are in there too. The The room might be 10 by 10, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, he's, the engineer's all about really kind of blown up. Everything's blown up and wacky. And I have to change quite a bit of how I play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm rolling with it because when I go into the control room and listen to it, it's like, oh shit, okay, this is a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something happening here. And that's the the, the hard thing with the with um when you have to separate yourself emotionally. Um you, you, you know, you're you're maybe you're preconceived or what you're used to, or what, hey man, I gotta have this in my headphones or that kind of thing. Yeah. And and kind of being more like, well. I'm going to let all that go. I'm just going to kind of trust what's going on here. That this isn't, this record is not going to be the, you know, the kind of record of, of what I sort of preconceive, you know, and, but the end result is that it's all music. Mm-hmm. And then it means something to the people that are making it and, and, you know, in, in the artist specifically. And I got to honor that. You and, and you can sometimes you can find inspiration in that of something you totally didn't expect, you know. Yeah, I mean, you always learn something along the way, you know. I mean, um, it it uh, that's the hard the the thing to remember when you are you know anytime you're kind of stretching out into new territory, it's like uh, there's a, some fear that goes out that goes with you mm-hmm. 
that comes with you in that process. And you can allow that fear to either shut down what you're doing or go, Hey man, you know, look, I, I know this is weird. And this is all just me talking to myself. Sure. You know, it's like, this, this is weird. This is different. I don't necessarily, you know, like this, but I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? If my career hasn't ended now already, then I don't know, you know, I mean, Maybe I need to kind of get away with things a lot more than I do. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, I feel like nine times out of ten, there's there's usually either well, let's let's say hopefully redeeming qualities in the music, or at least the people. Yes. Or the situation, or the intent of what they're yeah. trying to do, and and if you can find that, even in a situation that maybe be physically uncomfortable or sometimes mentally uncomfortable or you're like, wow, we're polishing a turd here. There's oh, you know, at, yeah. least the, at least the, maybe the people are awesome. You know, like, they are, they are. And that's, and that, and that's in particular is really the payoff of the thing. And, and the end results, you know, from what I hear are like really cool. It's like, all right, you know, you don't know what you're stumbling into too. You know, I mean, that, that's the other thing too, is, 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 um, that's why you kind of got to let go of the constraints or, or whatever. And those are just kind of internal, you know, it's yeah. thoughts and feelings about what I'm doing. Um, and, uh, to, to just let go of that. I mean, uh, I think it's, I think it's interesting to talk to, for me to talk to, I mean, you're about eight years older than me. So, but, but the, time when your career started versus the time when mine kind of started to take off. It's like, it's pretty different because of how the music business changed, you know, and you, yes, you were in big studios in the early nineties, late, late eighties. And you've had to like deal with, well, I think there's two interesting things. One, you've been through this transformation of Nashville and, and been part of it, frankly. And then, and then where we are now from real studios to home studios. And that's a pretty massive transition in yeah. your career, you know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it is really fascinating. Um, all of that. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, um, the thing you got to remember, right. And, and, and with all of this is that, you know, in, in any given genre at any given time, uh, we, we can obsess over the way that that music was made and, and how it was recorded. But honestly, you know, now is the only time in history that you have as many options. Like, so when you go, <laughs> you know, you don't think that the Beatles would have used auto tune, you know, it's like, who knows, man? Like, I mean, shit. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, to, to, they used what they used because that's all there was. Right. You know, when, like, a lot of those strats that Hendrix played, he bought them off the fucking rack. Right. Like, yeah, they you were, know what I mean? Special, they were there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Were. It just happened to be a good year for strats. Ringo didn't use, he didn't use vintage gear. It was I mean, fucking brand new. <laughs> like, when, 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 you, when you watch uh get back like the the amount of like kind of i don't want to say not giving a shit but the yeah they just weren't focused the on lack that. of and yeah, yeah when they're asking mccartney about how to he's like i don't know what these fucking knobs do man 
I mean, I, you was, know, we've, I was blown away watching that. I was like, oh, my God, they, they're they not even thinking about all the shit that we obsess over. Not even close. Yeah. All I care about was the song. They're sitting, like, yes. five feet from each other. Ringo's, yeah. like, right there. Like, nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody cares. And you're dead on. All they care about is the song. I mean, that's really the thing, you know? And uh, did you notice that uh, I think those are 602s that he's playing? See, I, um, thought maybe they were, I thought maybe they were Peisty Ludwigs. Oh, you're right. That's probably what they are. But they're definitely Peisty, man. Yeah. Yeah. And they I, sound I, like it. Like, yeah, do, you have, yeah. do you have any of those Peisty Ludwig hats or anything? I, I don't. Um, I just got another set. I've been kind of. Uh, I got to quit hoarding gear, but um, <laughs> it, it took me thing. <laughs> it took me about a year to find uh, thirteen inch uh, heavy six hundred two blue labels. Okay, so I found one set that I that I use quite a bit, uh, and then I just bought a fucking mint pair. Okay, like barely been played. Um, but the old vintage, like other than that, so you know that what I'm talking about there. For those that that don't know, those are what Stuart Copeland played um, okay. all through. That is the Stuart Copeland hi hat sound. Don't let anybody try to sell you anything different. That's exactly what so they not, are. Not Rudes. No. Okay, because you see pictures of him with those. No, man. Okay. Dude, you hear these things and it is fucking red rain, dude. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> or every little thing she does is magic, or you know, any of that. All of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. look, they're right here. Okay. I'm not. Um, I'm not I don't know Peisty well, so I'm a I'm a, a guy. Oh, so I'll, I'm just going to say that as a yeah. Disclaimer. Oh, and I love. <laughs> I want to say this too. Uh, you know, I endorse Sabian. That's the only symbol company I've ever endorsed, and and uh, that is mostly what I play. These are just choices yeah. as a session player. And as you know, and probably most people that are listening to this, yeah, you have to have a wide variety of stuff. And, and there are certain instruments that um, you can't get that are like, you have to get it. You have to get, the you know, thing. yeah. Um, look at these things, man. And you're literally pulling them out of the package. Oh yeah, I right. I know those it, from I don't know drum magazines or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but look how fucking clean that is. Man. I mean, did anybody play those? They've been sitting in a closet. Well, that's the bottom. Here's the top. Okay, it has a little bit of mark on it. But man, I mean, you know. But you put them up, and you're like, that's that's the thing. Oh, like, brother. <laughs> and that's the top. So. Wow, I'm curious, man. They're amazing. They're they are not cheap. Hey man, and that goes back to that throaty snare sound, man. Like that that sound on um Ghost in the Machine, that snare sound. That yeah. frequency range. I mean, that is like there's a really great um documentary um uh, on um Air mm. Montserrat. Mm. Uh, it's called Under the Volcano. You've probably seen it. Yeah. It's on Netflix, but that's really cool for anybody who's really curious about that stuff. Yeah, I'm always trying to pause to see like where the mics are and like what the fuck's happening in that in that setup, you know? 
man, and so much of that, you know, it's just dudes' hands, you know. Right. Um, you can, you know, how it is, man. I mean, you can get <laughs> put. <laughs> You can put all the pieces together and you go, what's missing? Oh, that's right. I'm not Stuart Copeland. Yeah. Nobody is. Nobody. Nobody, nobody is. Me. Yeah. Nobody's even fucking close to man. Here's the other thing too, with that guy, what's the reference point? Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's a good question. Cause like there's, there's some Carlton Barrett in there. Right. But like on cocaine, <laughs> Right. Yeah, but he doesn't. Tone, but tonality-wise, like, what's the? Right. That's a good point. Right. So much personality, man. I mean, like, you know, um, I mean, I, he's 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 one of those guys. One note, and you know who it is. Yeah, a, a, just a kick drum, right? Like the the yeah. punch coming through his right foot is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh well, I know who that is. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so back to the vintage Pisces. I don't. I, I don't have um, the the Ludwig Pisces. Uh, the closest thing I have is um, I always carry a set of um, giant beats just as an option. Yeah. These are these are really different. They're really thin, like super, mm-hmm. and they're pretty trashy. But the only reason I thought maybe that was Ringo was playing was because they. They just look like that. There's a certain gloss to them. They do. And yeah, like, but you can see like in the lathing. Yeah. The tightness of it. Yeah. Um, that it. That those are not. Um, and certainly the bell. When right. he goes to the bell is suspiciously feisty. Yeah. Sounding. I was I was buying those when they were like seventy five bucks on eBay. Like nobody. I bet they are not that now. <laughs> They're not, but I got 16, 15, 14, 13, I think 12 too. Cause I was oh, like, wow. I'm, I'm just going to keep buying these cause they're, they're, they're rad and they're cheap, you know? Yeah. I did find a set of, um, uh, uh, 66, um, um, pre new beat Zildjian's. Those are actually right here too. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> well, I'm kind of in this little area that I sort of it, it's as I as I exit the house, this is shit I grab on my way out. Okay, okay. And it's all just it's all just sitting here. Okay. But but they are they're high hat mediums is what they're called. Oh wow. I don't know if you can see. Yep. Oh wow, look at that. I can see yeah. a faded uh right? Is that a faded Yeah. Yeah, okay. It says high hat medium on there. And these are uh, the 15s. Oh, wow. And so they, they really have the Ringo uh, slosh, but the the eighth note, when you're playing eighth notes, man, it is Motown. Yeah. It's the thing, man. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, I have, I have all, all kinds of um, saving hats that I use all the time, too. These are just sort of, particular things that you i mean the company didn't exist in 66 so it's like you gotta, i mean you got to get the right thing with if somebody wants yeah money, you got to have the right thing or it just doesn't sound right yeah and the you know it hats in particular i find it, it they they really set up the the way you play the rest of the kit you know yep um 
And um, I would imagine, yeah, I, I, I don't play really any jazz or bop or anything like that, but it's got to be the same way for ride cymbal there. It's like, man, if the ride cymbal is exactly what you need it to be, then screw it. You know, it's like you're going to spend most of your time on that instrument. It better be uh, performing and efficient in the area dynamically and the way you want it to bloom and <clears throat> what happens when you kind of blow off of it before you go and do a fill it's got to have the right kind of like exit yeah I think, energy you know i think there's two sides to that i think one the listener side and also the player side where you know if you're really tr trying to get era specific at least for me i've found that like if it's not if it's not coming back at me right then it's hard for me to get in the zone because i just feel like it's wrong yeah you know exactly that's a lot of like what you just described right there is a lot of what i had to get over on this other particular record that i was discussing about how everything none of the it's a kind of a frankenstein drum set and everything's sort of thrown together but it works in that room but it's all kind of wrong to me the sizes are all small it's like 20 12 14 which i like that but i mean the heads are ancient uh they don't want me to change them you know it's it's a lot of weird quirky kind of things like that but i'm, I'm getting over it you know <laughs> but it sounds big it sounds oh well it doesn't need to sound big what it sounds like is it's got this kind of really roaring kind of energy to it but it's pocketed it okay. sits in a great spot for for the uh singers there's two singers okay so I, I'm, um, starting, I'm starting to notice um like in the past few months people want less top end and they're oh yeah thank god yeah they're 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 trying to get into a certain space um shit i'm not really doing justice to like verbally like but there's i think there's something happening where you know we're getting modern sounds that are a little more in your face kick drums still like here but now we're like people are getting over that that shrill thing and they want the tape thing but they yeah. don't want it to well, sound like motown they still need it to sound modern yes in, in your face yeah well what okay so here's the interesting thing and and uh shannon forrest is a really good buddy of mine and he but when i was talking if you guys haven't heard that um Bukovac solo record um okay. uh, it's called plexi soul it's on Bandcamp. um but so we tracked that at Shannon's uh, on uh, analog. He's got a he's got bunch a of amp. Yeah, he's got everything. He's got a bunch of uh, Ampex machines out there. Um, but one of the things that we we spent a lot of time uh, together just analyzing different records, we noticed a lot of our favorite stuff, even through um, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, there's a shelf on the top end. A lot of those really great sounding Peter Gabriel records, they really don't rise above a certain uh, level on the top end. Okay. And it, and it keeps the impact um, in, inside of like a, a listener's own, you know, I don't know how to really, I'm sure there's technical stuff as to what's going on there that, that, that are qualified and probably Shannon could tell you kind of where, where the shelving point is, but 
Um, that seems to me to be some, some real, uh, that that's a great place to head towards, you know, yeah. with, cause now it, it is unlimited as to what you can do. You know, I mean, the, the beauty of, of, of where we're at now technology wise is that it really is, it's back to the hands uh, of the engineers because you could do anything. Right. So right. you, you better make it sound fucking great because you can do that now with a damn Apollo in your house, you know, <laughs> in your, anywhere yeah. you could do it on an airplane. So, so that's the beautiful thing right now. There's no excuses. So, you know, there was that weird period of, of, of moving from analog to digital. Um, and, you know, and, and plenty of people would argue with you now that, um, that 44 one actually sounds better. Uh, working with Lord Algie on the Algie record, he was convinced that 44 one was, uh, 16 bit 44 one was way more rock and roll sounding. Interesting. But you know, that's with, with him at the helm, it doesn't matter. That's the funny thing with all of this. And I think that's the thing I'm trying to communicate is that now it, do it doesn't matter. When someone says, well, I have a laptop and an Apollo, it's like, that doesn't matter. Right. It should sound great. Like, I mean, that's, whatever you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's been the fascinating thing. And that's kind of why I ended up with this podcast. Because, like, you know, I was, I've been doing this for a while. And it's, you know, for me, it's just all been self-teaching, you know, obviously taking, bringing things from outside. But, like, it got to a point where I was like, wow, this is I'm, – I'm getting pretty good at this. And I'm not the only one, and I was getting calls from other people. And, like, the more I started to have to explain things verbally, I was like, wow, there is no limitation. It doesn't matter how big the room is. It doesn't matter. No. It, you know? Yeah. Like, as long as you – yeah, as long as you get rid of – um weird hanging mm -hmm. frequencies stuff stuff that's causing uh phase issues inside of the room mm -hmm. uh and that and you can use anything to fix that right like you don't have to buy a pre-made anything you can start with uh you know man bed sheets you can right the greatest thing is is the the ten dollar packing blanket from Home Depot draped over a mic stand. Right. Uh, I've worked in major studios that were had an unlimited design budget that sound horrible. Like you pull a drum out and you hit it and you're just like, mother of God. <laughs> You're like, this doesn't, this drum doesn't sound like this. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what the, the, the bad thing, I'll tell you what, man, the bad thing about getting older and having done this, this long is that I can't hold that shit back. <laughs> <laughs> I the kick drum and I go, God, this room sounds like ass, <laughs> right. you know, in the earshot of the, the studio manager's like, Oh, well, we paid so-and-so. And it's just like, well, but, you know, so back to the practicality of what I'm saying, which is, is that if you have a room, then uh, you're cutting drums at your house and you are fighting some of that stuff, man, the quickest thing is to uh, go get a bunch of those blankets 
um, and another cheap thing to do is to get, and you can find these used, um, sometimes on, you know, uh, Craigslist or whatever, uh, like a rolling wardrobe rack, you know, just the little hanging Chrome yeah. thing. It's got wheels on the bottom, right? Take the packing blanket and a couple of clamps and just clamp them on and move them very close to the kit. Cause what happens in terms of like uh, a room is, is um, it folds on itself, right. you know? So like you, and you know, you know all this and, and I'm sure maybe a good portion of your, your listeners know this. So forgive me if I'm covering oh, this is um, what it's about. So ba basic info, yeah. <clears throat> but you'll notice, you know, like uh, you'll sit your drums up you get your home rig going and you're testing everything out. And the first thing you might notice is like, shit, there's sort of like a lack of clarity in all the drums, not just in the overheads, but kind of everything is sort of like there's, it, it doesn't seem to sound defined as I hear it in a studio, you know? So you get those, those, those packing blankets. You can, you can take a mic stand and kind of make it as high as it goes and then put the <laughs> yeah. thing in the T, T position. Yep drape the thing over and man i'm telling you like you know as close as you can get to your to your floor tom and as close as you can get to your hat and snare and then all of a sudden you, you're going to hear some amazing clarity uh and de definition yeah uh, in your individual mics your overhead and your room mic too because it sort of cleans up what's kind of going on in the room and uh that is easily the most effective, inexpensive way to make your home, your home room sound better. Right, and then you get, in my opinion, you also get some separation between the room and and your close sounds, and and hopefully, your, if your room sounds you know decent or half decent, I mean, there's many ways to change it, but you just get that a more separation, which is totally yeah. And it, it gets rid of the kind of wonky frequencies and, and, and shit that wants to float around anyway, you know, you'll find it's easier to tune. And what, what do you, um, so what are you doing at home? I, f I feel like I've seen two different spaces from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, you, you know, um, uh, I had a, the house previous to this, uh, had a really elaborate room in it and, and, um, right now it's just a real basic uh kind of thing but the the meat and potatoes of it have stayed the same which is i have a bunch of uh the undertone audio stuff i've got okay you know uh and then i've got taking um so what i what i do is you know kick and snare are the the uh undertone um forgive me model numbers are escaping me but it's the mic pre's with the built-in EQs. That's what's on kick and snare. And then I have eight channels of just the pre's. But for those of you guys that don't may not know the undertone stuff, on his pre's, there's a wide variety of uh, you, you know, there's transformers built in on the in and out of each channel. Okay. And the amount of color that you can get is phenomenal. Um, and, and tricks you can do with gain and 
it that they're just incredible pieces of gear. Um, and I've got four of the Daking Mike Pre EQs. The Mike, um, Mike Pre four, or oh, you yeah, EQ. EQ. Uh, the uh, the Dakings I have four of the the Pre and EQ built together. Okay. And those I use on toms or kind of whatever. And then I think I have a couple channels of AEA. Uh, Mike Priest for some ribbon stuff, you know. Yeah, the ribbon Mike Priest. Mike, those are. The, I've never tried those. Those are cool. I would. I mean, I would. They may build great stuff. It's well. What's funny is, um, sort sort of the the there are. You can get the same kind of thing out of the out of the Valentine stuff out of the undertone. Okay. Um, it's unlimited. Right. Uh, but for a good, like the AEA thing, it's not very expensive. I don't think a, a stereo channel is pretty, you know, if you're going to pair that with like, um, e even a moderate level, um, ribbon mic, the gain is really, really nice on the AEA. That, that's really the big thing about ribbon stuff is, is your, your, your input output gain uh, and and how to preserve that as best as possible. The the ribbons really like to respond. Um, they respond well to that to the AEA. And I run like, um, you know, um, rooms or sometimes hat through that or whatever. Okay. What's your, um, your, what's your hat mic usually? Uh, that the buyer um, M one sixty. What is yeah and um but i i swapped that out with like whatever you know, <laughs> anything yeah, yeah and, and anything you know just to sometimes the sm7 yep you know yep. just for rejection or whatever but I, i've been using that husher thing for a while i don't know that um do i have that here oh i do Oh, wow. There's my cherry rope pin on there, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's this okay. this thing. Ch check it out. It sits on your hi-hat stand. You don't, you don't wear it on your head? No, you could probably. <laughs> okay. But uh, That's for separation from the snare? Oh, dude. Oh, wow. Mind blower. Oh, wow. Okay. Mind blower. I'm I'm on I'm on uh, I'm on uh, I'm on Amazon right now or whatever. <laughs> well, he it's a small little company, little Canadian company. Uh, okay. Uh, H H. Usher, on Instagram, he's just Luke Prefontaine. I think his name is. I'll, when we get off this call, I'll, I'll send you. Okay. His Instagram. You wouldn't know that he makes the Husher from it, but you can talk to him directly and. Wow, he's really perfected. This is the one that I have is a is a real prototype. He's changed it quite a bit, like, um, but it, it's easily. We've all bought these things, right? That are supposed to reject hi hat out of the snare. It's I've tried everything. Yeah, yeah. this one actually works. Okay, it's it'll blow you away, man. Okay, um, it's it's just insane. No, he nailed it. Okay. Um, but what he's working on, though, is the how 
quickly you can kind of remove it from the hi-hat stand that that one that i have um was it, it's all just in prototype form okay so uh, how you get it on and off the hi-hat stand is is uh not as smooth as he's he's going to make it to where it's just a clip and you because that you have to pull the whole thing apart thread it through the tube oh wow okay and but i mean it's so good i i do i will take it around with me deal yeah um and um you will grab frequencies um on your snare drum that you couldn't before in post or when you're actually tracking you can boost like you know oh three and four that you couldn't do before because it would get nasty totally wow yeah it's like a i can confidently tell you it's a 15 db cut whoa yeah wow yeah what tell me tell me about your engineering is it is it a are you self-taught or like when, when did you start doing this mostly you know what i mean like on your own you okay, know, so I, I'll, I'll say that. Go ahead. Yeah, really getting into it. Really getting into it was that Owsley record. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, really kind of like, oh shit. Okay, we could do this. We could do it ourselves. If we could do it to where it, it's competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always loved engineering and and had the fortune to work with amazing engineers all through my career. Mm-hmm. And um. So it was kind of born a little bit out of necessity of like, hey, let's let's make a record without having to get anybody's money. Um, and so Millard Powers is the is the third sort of uh, ingredient in that Owsley record in in terms of the engineering. He, he engineered most of that record, and uh, we all kind of got into it together. Okay. You know, um, and so that's where the curiosity really blossomed into like a real thing of like, we can, we can really do this. And then it wasn't until probably, you know, uh, late 2000s that I kind of got into uh, like a, a, a room having my own room, you know? Okay. And, um, but you know, man, I mean, it's, it's, um, I kind of like to, to, I know a certain amount and I don't want to get too, too much further into it. Like, um, I still would learn, like to learn a lot more about, uh, phase and, uh, polarity. <laughs> and and get get to the real secret with all that because but what's funny about even all of that is at the end of the day is like what does it sound like you know um you you know i've heard the debate of well certainly if you're looking at you know um your pro tools files your audio files whether they're on pro tools or logic or whatever you know each each wave needs to go up. Right. The only problem with that is that, you know, your snare drum 
it can't go up because if it does, then you're completely out of phase with everything else. But if you just look at the energy of like, how's the head reacting to the mic, you know, so your toms are going to be out of phase with your overheads, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, um, again, you just kind of got to listen. I do have that auto align plugin, which is kind of, Okay. Interesting. Have you seen that thing? Well, this it's always an interesting debate to me. The yeah. lining thing, um, which to to me doesn't make any sense as a human, because I don't I don't feel like that's how we hear drums, or anything. Oh no, dude, man, that thing that thing could do some heinous shit. No, let's all be honest. That's a tool. Um, to be used sparingly and it's a nice thing to kind of like to show you the potential of of how you could uh time things to be more locked you know inside of itself if you will but it's not always the answer okay so you like you can sometimes it really works for certain types of tracks is that kind of what you oh mean? yeah like it's a great thing to just do for um in and out kick, top and bottom snare. I see. Okay. Not the um, No. Okay. No. Interesting. I have, so yeah, no, that. With it. Okay. The, oh, yeah, but that's out of a lot of time doing stupid shit. <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> uh, it's also nice to... Um, a good experiment, if you got, if anybody has that plugin, a, a nice thing to do with it is, is if you, uh, first area to look at is uh, hi hat side overhead with snare mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. time right side overhead with left side. L- listen to that, okay. you know, you eat little moves, man. You do little moves with that thing, boy, because it'll. <laughs> <laughs> well, the crazy thing about phase too is, is the panning part of it you know yeah and when you oh when, and when you sorry go ahead go ahead no mono drums fuck all this other shit that's <laughs> all i want to say go ahead oh yeah you don't do stereo overhead no i do but that's what's amazing the thing that i think that that most people get are blown away at is when i tell them that a good portion of that Bowsley record is those are mono drums those are Tom did some panning on the toms, like on Oh No, the radio, but the overhead is... Okay. And because there's no hi-hat mic on most of those tracks, all that shit is mono. And so the impact is amazing. Now, he took the mono room, and he he did some things in post where it's the illusion that it's stereo, but that's just... Yeah. That's just uh, almost delay kind of shit he's got going that's imaging right you know so but as far as impact um and i didn't mean to rob steal to steal where you were going no 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 this no i'm laughing because like it's so it's it's so fucking nerdy but fascinating to me you know and and yeah the funny thing is what you're you're like i don't really want to get too much more deep into it but what you're talking about is pretty fucking deep and and those are the things that make the big differences you know, when I when I discovered the panning thing on my tom compared to where the overhead is, and you get it to around, you know, depending on where your mics are, but like 77, 78, it fucking opens up. 
And if you get yeah. past that, it comes back. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. There's a whole another dimension that I didn't even realize Yeah, be considering, you know. So so here's a fun, fun story. Um, years ago, this must have been this right when Richard Dodd, the engineer, moved to town. Uh, for those who don't know, he did Tom Petty Wildflowers and tons of the Jeff Lynn stuff. He's a mastering engineer now. I, I think he might do a little bit of a, anybody will do anything, I think, but, but he's primarily a mastering engineer right now. But we tracked the thing on analog and uh, he cut the toms. And I only had two on this particular record they were doing, but he cut those in mono on the same track. And. Oh most of the drums were in, in mono. And when it came time to mix, he just panned the top. <laughs> wow. Wow. So what that does is they're all right here all the time. <laughs> Interesting. So you, yeah, you just put the toms on one track. I mean, you got to commit, you got to balance. Some them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You only use, use the console like a song mixer and you're only going to one track so when you're monitoring but you're tracking you just got one here's the toms you know is a mono track i mean it makes a lot of sense dude you i mean what has more you know the impact that like rock around the clock has and jailhouse rock has you know None of the Beatles stuff was ever really in stereo. There's there's versions of that now. I, you know, none of those drums were ever stereo. Right. And I only bring that up. There, there may be people that that, that don't like uh, Beatles music, but if you just talk about the sound of the drums and the and the impact that they have in the record. Yes. You know. It, it, you, you, people, yeah. In all people different- may be sick of Beatles. In all different eras of Beatles, too. Like, revolver drums are one thing. The opening to Sgt. Pepper's, that beat with the maracas, that's got serious impact. And then the Abbey Road drums sound fantastic, but it's a totally different thing. Which everyone is still aping now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, mother of God. (laughs) Yeah. 50 years ago, you know? Yeah. the same drum sounds. I mean, I get it. I get it. I love it too. But, you know, I do like exploring these, these kind of other eras, you know, I mean, I'm a massive fan of, you know, the Bruford era. Yes. Tones. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys search on, on the YouTube, uh, there's an isolated drum track of Bruford, uh, playing, um, the song close to the edge is it really yeah and you got to remember there's like (laughs) there's like a minute of nothing at the front because it's all this weird kind of shit going on but that'll blow you away that stuff and so at that time the close to the edge record you know they were touring for fragile at the time so and, and if anybody you may not know the process of how they did those those prog records they would just jam and they would cut sections together and often they would be from separate weeks. So they would go tour on the weekend in England and then go to the studio in the middle of the week. And then, uh, so it'd be the same song, but 
the drums from the A section were from two weeks ago. And now the B section of the song, you know, is it. So they change subtly and you'll hear, you'll hear. Could be different or, or anything. Barely. Yeah. Barely. But that's the most mind blowing thing is the dude's snare tone. And in particular on that track, um, but I love those sounds and they're very, you know, it's really about the mid range and, um, you know, I really like, there's, there's something that happens on these older recordings and people are doing it now. There's Eric Valentine is excellent at doing this too, where they're, they're able to kind of blow things up a little bit. Like sometimes things get, get so clean you lose the expression of the performer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And you can even hear on a Steely Dan record, you know, like on, on, um, you know, like, uh, green earrings or something like that, uh, with Purdy playing when he goes in and does those fills, you can hear the preamps reacting. They're, they're pushed to the point of distortion in there, you know? whether they were actually thinking about doing that or not, or if it was limitations of the gear, but I'm really intrigued with that, that kind of thing. That that's the, the, I guess, you know, that's what I I don't like so much about when we get into this thing where shit gets so clean um, tonality wise, that there's no room for, for stuff to blow up, you know? My my favorite thing about being able to explore these old multi-tracks and everything is how fucked up everything is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in the best way possible. Because when you hear the final thing, you don't hear that. And engineers used to mix, you know, there was a troubling spot in a performance or a tone. You just pull that, <laughs> right, right, you pull right. that down and you favor another thing. You right, know? right, right. I mean, so the the modern country thing is like super clean, mm. right? Oi, 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 it is. Yeah, but I mean, a, I think, and a lot of that shit is done in post, you know. You think so? I mean, you know so, oh, right? I know, I know so. Yeah. <laughs> so you think so? <laughs> yeah. So you feel like a lot of times you've done recordings and and it and it comes back and you're kind of like, oh, dude. Nine times out of ten. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what it is. Okay. I don't know what I'm listening to. Okay. I mean, I know I know that experience many times, especially of course. when you leave the studio and you're like, oh, my God. Not only was it the best day, but that shit sounded amazing. And then you hear it. No. You hear yeah, it, those days are. You hear it next and you're like, wait, what? That's That has nothing to do with what represented the day we left. Tracking God, season. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there it, it is it, it we're moving away from it i feel like nice. i've touched a nerve <laughs> well no it's it's like i didn't play that i don't know what that is okay i don't know who that is right like people are saying well oh hey i heard so-and-so man you sound great on that is that you i'm like fuck i don't know right is it right. <laughs> it just depends it depends on it depends on the whole thing. And I'm not trying look, that's just the way shit is. Like I, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm my goal when I go in and play on something is to try to 
make it the best thing I can do at that moment. You know, I'm not responsible for what happens in post. Right. And, and, uh, never have been really, you know, like, I mean, there are records that I'm, that I am, you know, uh, either like a part of the, the band or kind of the team or I'm actually producing. Yeah. I can, I have my say in that, but the other stuff I don't, you know? Yeah. Well, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anyway. I don't mean to ma- even make that a point of discussion. I'm not trying to like, um, and man, that thing has been going on forever. Like, yeah. um, I mean, people started triggering samples, you know, that's mid eighties, dude. Right. That's not, that's not, it's always, it's always gone on. Those are not my favorite records, right? you know, gridded gridded records that um you know that are sound replaced those aren't my favorite records right they're certainly not the favorite records that i've played on but i understand you know uh uh, as a product you know as a as a as a unit a thing that needs to be sold uh, it's you know what I mean, like so. Let's let's like let's be kind of honest about the whole thing. My, my job is to come in and and uh, and to provide a rhythm track that accommodates the song as best as possible. Yeah, that's it. You know the the fact that anything comes out of that that you're able to go fucking hell, man. Check that shit out. Like we're so lucky. Like you know the things we do get to hear, you know, like, like, um, uh, so that's it, you know, it, it all could be worse. Like, you know, uh, I, I know I'm kind of speaking philosophically and I know I'm a bit sort of, uh, it, it, I may not be making total sense. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm following you. But yeah. Keep yeah. Going. When we talk about like, uh, how amazing it is, right. From any genre, whether it is, uh, you know, metal or punk or rock and roll or pop that these incredible elevated performances made it to us. Right. Cause there's, there's many, many reasons for it not to make it to us. Right. You know, and we're just in an, an uh, with certain records and with certain record makers, there's this thought that if I remove all humanity from these performances, cause they're doing it to everything. It isn't like, it's just drummers, right? They line up everything, right? Um, that the music will be better. Yeah. Uh, you know, the corporate I, I don't you could, it's corporate or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But, uh thank god not all music is that way that's the thing is is that there there is there are some uh, incredibly human records out you know through time through the history of time and and even currently and that's what's great like that's the thing to talk about you know because um if you're a young player uh yes it's very important to to play um as uh, consistently as you can with the metronome and to play as consistently as you can in terms of your velocity it that stuff helps records Mm -hmm. but as a human being you're gonna hit a wall but that's okay Mm -hmm. like if, if someone wants to take the thing 
that much further in terms of technology, you know, the producer or engineer, that's their prerogative, mm -hmm. you know, but we've lost, uh, I feel like when you do that, you lose the character of an individual record. So like when you start messing with feel, um, that's what the thing that defines one record from another. Like, that's what's always drawn me to players. It's like, you know, um, and certain albums, they have a feel. Yeah. So that's my two cents on the whole thing. And not to, there's nothing you can really necessarily do about it. Um, you know, what does help is when something that is very human made on the floor achieves uh, international notoriety. Then people go, oh, shit, that's right. The musician matters, you know. So, you know, it, it comes and goes, man. I mean, you know, I can remember when I when I first uh, came to Nashville and I was doing sessions, you know, the big thing was, oh, you're all you guys are all going to get replaced by the drum machine. That didn't really happen. Well, I mean, it, I mean, certain records that were better because they had a drum machine on it. You know, like that's the other thing. It's like you're just talking about music. There's certain music right. that can be better uh, because it is a drum machine, you know, mm -hmm. and then and then other records that that's the worst thing possible, mm -hmm. you know, for it to, to be a drum machine and, and for it to be, you know, completely lined up and and all that kind of stuff. It's never going to go away. I think the thing is, is you learn to, um, as a drummer, I love listening to, uh, and, I, and I've talked about this before, and some of these records are going to sound ancient now, but some of the stuff that I love that is, that is all programmed, which is, you know. And that is the conclusion of part one with Chris McHugh. Part two coming next week.